it's forget about me for a minute. Understand yeah. the customer through the unbiased lens. Let's see them the way they see themselves now. With that context, now let's think about what we do and where we're, where we're relevant. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development as businesses aim for long-term success. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sofion CTO. If you're looking for additional information around new product development or corporate innovation, sign up for Sofian's newsletter where we share news and industry best practices monthly. The fastest way to do this is to go to sofian.com, that's S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, and click the sign up and stay informed box. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Glad you could join us again. I have another guest this week. You know, in the past, we've talked about product management, and there's a lot of interest in that. So I'm joined today by John Mansoor. John is the founder and managing partner of a company called Proficience, and they are a training and consulting firm that specializes in B2B product management, product marketing, and product demos, working with lots of companies to help them improve all of those. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Paul. Nice to be here. Yeah, glad you could join us. Where are you joining us from? I'm joining you from Greenville, South Carolina. Greenville, South Carolina. And how's the summer been there? Summer has been great. Typical uh, South Carolina summer, so rather warm. But Greenville's a great place. Always a lot going on here. So uh, there's no time to be bored. <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds great. Well, tell us a little bit about your company proficiency and what you do. I mean, I, I gave a short blurb of it, but go a little bit more on that. We are primarily a training company, and as you mentioned, we focus on product management, product marketing, and product demos. And so uh, essentially, we train B2B companies primarily in the technology space on you know, how, to, how to deliver products that have more quantifiable value to the customer, build them, market them, sell them, and, and deliver them to the customer so the customer actually gets results. So that's that's where we specialize. I would say the one thing that probably separates us in terms of our approach uh, is our focus uh, primarily on customer outcomes, right? So in the industry around product management, uh, product marketing, you'll hear go solve customer problems, which you know you're going to do it. Your products have to do that at the end of the day, uh, but think of it as a shortcut, right? So so trying to find the big customer problems is like finding needles in a haystack because your customers have a lot of them. So mm. we come at it from the opposite side and we say, well, what are the outcomes, business outcomes your customers are looking for most? And let's just figure out what's stopping them and, and their biggest problems will sort of hit you between the eyes. So it's an easier way to get to the high impact things that your product marketing sales and customer teams should be focused on. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody would disagree that product management, product marketing, and even be able to to demo your product and sell your product. I think it's all it's all probably part of innovation. I mean, how do you relate product management and innovation? You know, to me, the two are joined at the hip because whether I'm you know managing an existing product over its life cycle or I'm looking for you know new products to build. I mean, the you know as far as a product management and an innovation team, we should be coming at it from the same uh, jumping point, which is understanding what our customers are trying to do, why that's important to them, why it's important to them, and and why they can't get there and you know, if we're coming at it from that standpoint, then there's a lot of different ways to end up with something that's innovative. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, innovation comes down to two things. You're either going to 
meet a need customers never knew they had until there was a solution or you've come up with a new innovative way to solve an age-old problem. You you used a phrase with me once that says innovation is a result, not a process. Tell me about that. You know, my perspective on innovation being a result, it is a result of understanding your customers better than everybody else out there, or it's a result of understanding your customers as well as they understand themselves might be a better way to put it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is one of the hardest things for product companies to do is invest the time to understand their customers as well as they understand their own products. Because if we understand our customers that well, then innovation should be easy. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Because, again, we, we have either uncovered a, a problem or a need customers never knew they had. And, and we understand the outcome of addressing that need or solving that problem or technology or there's something else out there that has given us a new way to solve an old problem that, you know, people just have accepted if an issue. And, you know, again, until there's a new solution out there, no one really thinks about it. Yeah. So if we. A lot of companies are really focused on the process, right? And, and mm-hmm. uh, you do need a process, but the process is not enough is the way I would say it. If, if, if you can't do it for the sake of the process, right? Yes. And, and you know, yeah. So, the, you know, my, my phrase, obviously, not all inclusive, because once you understand what a need that customers have, whether it's a new way to solve an old need or um, solving a need they never knew they had, then, you know, once you get to that point, then there definitely has to be a process. Yeah. Um, you know, my perspective is getting to getting to the idea to build something new is where I think to me, that's the result versus the process. Right. Because I think companies go through, they have this, you know, they have this whole innovation process for coming up with the idea instead of understanding your customers to get the ideas, then putting a process in place to execute and get those to market and, and you know, validate the model and, and all those sorts of things. So I think the process in a lot of cases you know, is, is starting at the wrong point. Yeah. Probably a better way to put it. Right. And you can't just run a process and expect that it gets you to that deep intimate understanding of, of, of what the, what the consumers need or what the, what the users need. Um, how have you found, have you found good techniques or ways to uh, help product managers better understand that, what you call that, that outcome or that result? I mean, what are you seeing there in terms of techniques uh, you know, the technique is very simple. It comes down to companies uh, investing the time and effort to do it. And, and it's very simple. The more time you spend with customers, the better you get to know them, the better you get to understand them. And to me, you know, whether, you're, whether your job is to innovate or to manage a product, an existing product that's already in the market, you should know your customers as well as you know your product or even better uh, in my mind, to be effective at either coming up with innovative new ideas or, you know, even managing products throughout their existing life cycle. And I think too many, like in too many companies, you know, the innovation process starts with, hey, someone has an idea. So whatever the idea is, it goes into a hopper, then it goes through a process. And to me, it's like there are a lot of things that should never be in the hopper. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So a good process would provide for that type of relationship of, of interaction with the the eventual buyers of the product a good process would do that a lot of it processes would. don't do that but a good one exactly would do that. yeah <laughs> yeah i think that could be built into the process i think if people looked at their process and said hey do we have enough things in our process that make that interaction happen and if we don't mm-hmm. put those in 
Uh, no, I totally agree with you. And I think it's it's putting more emphasis on the front end of that process that starts with not someone just having an idea, but but part of that front end process has to be some very structured conversations with people you would consider to be your target customers and maybe it's existing customers. And again, it's it's one of those things where it's very simple. The hard part for product companies is to what I refer to as leading the witness, right? So in my mind, if I have an idea for something and Paul, you're one of my would-be customers, my line of facilitating that conversation might be trying to subconsciously lead you to come to the conclusion I have so right. that you both think it's a great yeah. idea. Yeah. Instead of me just coming at it with, with an unbiased lens and say, Paul, what are the top priorities for your company for the next two, three, five years? Why are those important? How are the market dynamics shaping it? What are you trying to do? What parts of the company are you investing in? What, what are your customers asking you for? And just let the cards fall where they may. To me, that's the most important part of that innovation process up front. That's how you get good ideas into the hopper. Yeah, it's so <laughs> easy to go in with what what. I would think is a need. What I th was an idea is great. John, you need. What do you think? If I gave you this, what do you think, right? Or oh yeah, that'd I've be totally great. Missed. <laughs> yeah, right. I've totally missed missed an opportunity for you to really tell me what you need. That's so true. How did you get involved in this, John? Look at you on this journey. My technology career started in pre-sales. I was a demo guy. I came from a customer, so I was working for a big healthcare organization. We bought financial human resource software, and uh, we implemented it. And I was uh, I was a department head there in, in a very large hospital. And uh, the software provider we bought from used to bring customers in there to do site visits. And, and I would regularly walk prospects through my area of responsibility. And, and I guess my hit rate was pretty good because they all ended up buying. So, so one of the HR recruiters from that software company came and said, hey, how'd you like to come to work for us in a pre-sales role? Which I did. It was a, it was a fabulous, fun job. So, so I went from pre-sales uh, and worked my way back into product management, you know, having both the practitioner experience and then having the sales experience. And that was invaluable going into mm. a product management role because I had, I had both perspectives, right? So it's not just something that works for the customer, but you have to be able to sell it. Yeah, that's a great idea. I've heard people say when you're developing, when you got a new product concept, Write the uh, marking materials, your internal <laughs> material. Have you ever heard that approach? Does that work? What do you think about that? Well, the, the way it works for most of it is somebody, some person group decides what's going to be built. And then once they figure out what it is and they tell marketing, hey, go figure out how to market and sell this thing, right? Which is the bass backwards way to do it. Mm. In my opinion, you should... You should write the customer success stories before you build the product, right? And the only blank is insert customer name here. Mm -hmm. So define the success customers are going to get with your solutions before you build them. And by developing that content, you by default, you have your marketing materials. Yeah, okay, okay. Think of it this way. The, the only difference between business requirements and value propositions are you either do or don't have the product. Business requirements precede the product, value propositions come after the product, but the reason you built it is the same reason people will buy it. There's no difference there. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating view on it. Have you seen that, you know, the shift away from, let's say waterfall to agile, has that, have we lost something? Has it helped? Are we getting better? Are we getting worse? Uh, <laughs> um, it has helped a whole lot of things, right? Because you have 
you know, shorter cycles, people are more accountable. You don't have the projects that drag on and on and on. And then, you know, they lose steam, you know, a year and a half into something and they get killed and, and all those sorts of things. So, so there's been a ton of good things about Agile. I would say the one thing, uh, and it's a big one, the one thing that has sort of gotten lost in the shuffle is validating user interactions before you start specking and building something. In fact, what most companies are doing now, they're starting to get back into it a little bit, right? So everyone is doing agile development, but more of a waterfall launch because in enterprise B2B, especially technology, so many things work together. You can't just, you know, unless it's something small, you can't, you can't just rifle big pieces of functionality out there independently because they touch so many things. So, so you'll see companies do agile, agile sprints, you know, two, three, four weeks, and then they'll do a release every three months or six months. So you have a significant amount of functionality. It was all tested together, make sure it works, right? But in the course of doing that, I think we have lost a little bit of our bandwidth in terms of validating those working prototypes with customers before we go and build, you know, going back to the original agile app, it, if it doesn't work for the customer, we throw it away and build it again, which okay, that's nice. But in these big enterprise applications, that's just not reality. Yeah. I'm curious your view on this. You know, there's a the term product manager to me, and maybe you tell me I'm wrong, which is fine. That's the, you have a total ownership of a product. You know, it's, it's, it's what the product is, but you, you typically own the business aspect to it as well. You have some accountability mm -hmm. for it. it's going to sell and, and, and here's who's going to buy it and here's why they're going to buy it. And then you have the, what agile calls the product owner, right? And this, then you have this writing this stories, right? What's your view on that? Is it the same person? Is it different people? So, uh, you know, when Agile first sort of hit the scene in the product owner role, uh, the intent of the role is right on the money. But I thought there could not be a more horrible title to give to this role because, you know, um, just metaphorically speaking, product managers were always thought to be the owner of the product, right? right. So now it's all of a sudden this person owns the product, uh, you know, so I'm a product owner and I own the product. Well, what's the product manager do? So there's, uh, till this day, there's a ton of confusion mm. around the two roles. So, you know, while I don't agree with the, the title product owner, there's probably a better name out there for it. Uh, the role in and of itself is highly, highly valuable, right? So if you think of the product manager uh, as the, you know, more upstream role, 80-20 rule here, product managers own the who, what, and why in terms of markets, customers, who are our target markets, what are they trying to accomplish, why is that important, what's stopping them, what are they doing about it, how do they measure success, right? So that's the product manager role. The product owner role goes much more into the how. So there's the functional how, and then you know they work with designers on the technical how. So it's how do people who are gonna use these products do their job? What mm -hmm. do they do? How do they do it at a very granular level? And then how do we spec our products to support what users do and give them the outcomes they want? Yeah. Right, to the benefit of their company. In other words, how do, so the product owner is, how are we going to make people better at doing this job in a way that's beneficial to their company, right? Going back up the ladder to the strategic value there. So to me, there's a very clear delineation between those two roles and where companies go wrong is they try to combine those into a single person. Ah, okay. <laughs> that was going to be my next question. Is this a yes. one person it, or more? Uh huh. It's a two headed yeah. animal. And, and when you combine those into one, and I've been watching this for years and years and years, I will just say flat out, it is a recipe for mediocrity. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, you've got the, 
Yeah, you've got the experience to prove that, to back that statement up. <laughs> and well, you know, and even though a lot of people have the skills to do the product manager and the product owner role, there's not the capacity within one individual to do both of those as well as they need to be done over the long haul. You might be able to get away with it for a release or two, but over the long haul, like that product owner role, once you start working with designers and developers and doing functional specs, you are sucked into the rabbit hole. There's there's no getting out of the building. Yeah, right. Getting out of the building, right? Back to the <laughs> back to all the things you said the product manager has to know about, right? <laughs> Who's, right. Who, the, the why, the whole why are we doing this? Then how do those two stay in sync, uh, or do they? Is that a problem companies face? Well, companies definitely face a problem because of the confusion overall. And to me, it's like a relay race, right? So, so product managers are going to do what they do. And then for some period of time, both the product manager and the product owner have to hold that baton together until mm -hmm. such point that the product owner takes that baton and runs with it to the next phase of your design and development cycle. So both the product manager and the product owner need to need to know the whole picture it's a matter of divide and conquer right so the product owner is going to be more or less the surrogate user and the product manager is going to be the surrogate director vp senior executive understanding what's driving customers from the top down mm -hmm. the product owner is mm -hmm. going to pick it up and say okay now i'm going to understand how we make these people better at doing these things to meet these business goals that are important to the customer higher up the food chain yeah, it sounds to me that when that handoff happens, when that baton, they both have their hands on it, is a critical time. A lot of communication. It's a very critical time. Yes, it's a very critical time. And what I will say, and a lot of product managers might not like to hear this, there are too many product managers who are still too interested in tinkering with the product instead of tinkering with the market. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? So product managers go, your job is to understand the market and, and let the product owner be the be more of the product expert than you are. And there are a lot of product managers who are just not comfortable doing that. They still want to be involved in the details of the product design and all that. Yeah, maybe it's a little bit of a legacy of, of where they came from, right? Maybe they were yeah. developers at one point in time or, or you know, they, they just, they're into yeah. the product, right? They are, and that's their comfort zone, right? And, and I, you know, speaking of all these technical people coming into product management roles, you know, their comfort zone is how the product works. And a product manager, you got to flip that switch, and your comfort zone has to be the who, what, and why far more than the how. Yeah. It's the same with the with the engine the, the pre-sales engineers, the people who demonstrate the product, right? We love to talk about our product, right? You've you've helped us, Sophion, in that exact area. Stop talking about what it is and say, focus on 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 the problem and the customer and what they need and and the why, really. Yeah, I mean, you know, the magic of sales is, you know, if if people are going to spend money, they want to talk about them. They don't want to talk about you. So if you're selling, make the conversation all about them, and they'll probably they'll sell themselves. They'll buy. It sounds easy. Maybe it's it's not so easy to do. Well, no, it's just it, it's hard to you know we are encumbered by our product knowledge, and I've been there, and I know how hard it is. Yeah. Oh, I just got to show you this other feature. You just need to see this, right? I know. So we talked about the kind of that product manager, product owner dynamic, but then you have the engineering group, right? So now you have the product owner talking to engineering, either through stories or meetings, or hopefully more than just stories and hand it over the transom. But again, now mm -hmm. there's another loss or, or point where you could lose more information. It's like the telephone game, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, as the content gets built from product manager to product owner, and then you start going into design and engineering, as that content gets built and evolves and grows, the whole package 
when things start going into design and engineering, they need the whole story, right? So at a product manager phase, it's who, what, and why. As it goes to the product owner role, you start adding more of the how in. As I go to engineering, then I need all of that cumulative who, what, why, and how before I start doing the technical how. Yeah. And I hear this from engineering leads all the time. It's like we're getting asked to build products, and we, we don't have a value target clearly drawn for us. In other words, I don't know what customers are trying to do and the outcomes they want, and you're asking me to build something, and I, you know, I don't have a perspective. And I hear, I hear a lot of people criticize engineers, and in, in an engineer's defense, it's like if we don't give them proper context on why they're building stuff and what customers expect to get from it, we can't expect them to do a great job on it. Yeah, I'm hearing the exact same thing. I hear over and over again that engineers just don't have that additional perspective, and they want they it. They definitely want I, it. You have to find an engineer yeah. that didn't want it, right? But it doesn't come their way so often, and they're just they just don't know. It is a challenge out there. Well, we've talked about a number of different things, John. Is there like one key learning or piece of advice you give to someone around in innovation or is it kind of all of the above? Well, you know, there's a lot, but I think it goes back to, you know, to that most fundamental aspect of innovation is a lot of people can come up with a lot of ideas, but but they're out of context or or the context for those ideas is very limited. So you know, the whole point behind this, which is, you know, innovation is a result, not a process. And, you know, it's probably the, the where the ideas come from is the result, not, not a process. Or you could build it into the process like we talked about earlier. But to me, the most fundamental part of innovation and product management, like I said, these two things, it's hard for me to separate them. The most fundamental part is you have got to know your customers and get to know them without the bias of your products or what you do. You just have to see, you have to see them the way they see themselves. Mm -hmm. that, that would be my one piece of advice. And it doesn't matter whether you're in product management, design, engineering, marketing, or sales, the more you can see customers the same way they see themselves, the easier your job gets. Okay. So forget about my company, forget about my product. Let me just go out there and like, almost like I'm a graduate student, right? Let me just see you with fresh eyes. It is. And that's so, you know, it's it's forget about me for a minute. Understand yeah. the customer through the unbiased lens. Let's see them the way they see themselves now with that context. Now let's think about what we do and where we're, where we're relevant. Yeah. Well, John, you've seen a lot of companies, you work with a lot of them. Some have made the transformation, some haven't, some have uh, probably gone into fallback. You don't have to name names if you don't want to, feel free to, but is there one like success story that you either personally experienced or some company you worked with, you were helping them transform experience. Is there like one example that you would say, boy, I'd like to, that's, that's, that's a good example you'd share with us. So, yeah, there are, you know, I would say I've worked with, you know, a handful of very successful companies and that whole customer mindset was built into the culture from the get go. Right. So, so some of the smaller ones, um, you know, who were on their way up and then some who have grown up to be several hundred million or uh, above a billion in revenue, they, you know, common denominator, which was everybody has to understand our customers to figure out how your job is relevant. Mm -hmm. Okay. Even if you're the person doing contracts in the legal department, you have to understand our customers to understand how to make this contract legal process easier for them in the whole process. So, you know, to me, that's, you know, that's where the success stories come from. And just to tell you how this plays out, and again, in all cases, it comes back to that measurable value. And so one of the clients I work with, they had point of sale software for automated car washes. And so I worked with these folks for a number of years. This is, you know, just 
probably the most fun one. That's why I always talk about it because I'm a car guy. But <laughs> I first interacted with these folks when they were literally, I don't even think they were doing a million dollars in revenue. Um, and, you know, fast forward, you know, 10 years, they were doing a hundred million dollars in revenue. Uh, and it was uh, organic. Yeah. Wow. And, and it was one of those things where they were so focused on the customer, it got to the point where their sales team would walk in. And, and if you were, uh, if you were an owner of one or multiple car washes, they'd say, you know, the, the value story was this Paul, for every dollar you give me, you're going to get a buck 40 back and I can prove it. <laughs> wow. And, and they wow. had, they had the statistics from their customers who were washing 40% more cars than the yeah. industry average if they were using this company's solution. Yeah. So when they said, Paul, the price is a hundred grand and you're going to get 140 back and you tried the discount thing. It was like, no, they did not discount their software. That was the one thing that stood out to me. This company did not discount their software. There were no discounts unless, you know, if you were going to, if you were going to buy software for like 12 car washes, yes, there was a, a tiered pricing, but there was no fourth quarter, end of the quarter discounting. It was, you pay the price and their support, th their annual renewal fees were pricey, highest in the market, 99% customer retention rate. So customers paid, you deliver that kind of value customers pay. Yeah. And you can prove it. Yeah. <laughs> and you yeah. can prove it. What I, what I liked about the approach you just said is you didn't come in and tell me, Paul, this is what I do. This is my product. You just yeah. said, this is it. I'm going to, for every dollar, you put it a dollar 40 back. Boom. Want to talk or not? Right. And it just went right to value. Well, and, you know, the company, you talk about the culture and the brand merging, you know, this is why I like this example best, because the culture of the company and their brand, you know, everything and it, you know, they, they expressed it different ways from a marketing standpoint, but inside the company, it's like the reason we come to work every day is to help our customers wash more cars and help, help our customers sell more services per car that they wash, right? So instead of just the car wash, you're going to get the wax and the tire shine and all the, all the other accoutrements. So their whole mantra inside was everything we do when we come to work every day is help our customers wash more cars and, and get more money per sale by adding on more services. And it, it just drove the culture. And, and you could just, like I said, they went from a million to somewhere close to a hundred million in probably 10 or 12 years. Where did that culture come from? Was it, was it top down, bottom up? I mean, and in general, if a company wanted, is it, is it, well, we don't have that culture. We don't have a chance. Can that culture be built? Tell me more about that. Um, the culture started with the founders of the company. It was two yeah. brothers who founded the company. And so that's where the culture started. Um, can companies make that transformation? They certainly can. You know, it just depends on what the legacy of the company is in terms of how much time or how difficult that transformation is going to be. You know, it's, it, and that transformation is like everyone knows they have to do something. Oh, yeah, we should talk to customers more, but then operationalizing how they do it is where it becomes difficult. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's a lot of the work you're doing with companies is really to help them learn to do that and and, and figure out how to do that and uh, be better at it, right? Well, yeah, I mean, the whole thing, you know, what we want to do is make it easier for companies to understand their customers as well as they understand themselves, right? That's our whole thing is make it easier for our clients to understand their customers as well as their customers see themselves, which is going to make product management, marketing, and sales a whole lot easier. Yeah. This has been, been a great discussion, John. I really enjoy it. Where do you see things going, let's say, in, in five years from now? Is it is it more the same? Do you see things shifting, changing? I definitely see things shifting and changing and, you know, you can always follow the money trail. So here's what I think is going to drive 
companies in the B2B space to become more customer focused. And, and you know, the, the money people are finally pushing the right buttons in my mind. So what I'm seeing is, you know, especially in, in software where it's all, you know, subscription based and, and you know, you, you want to you retain customers year after year with subscriptions. So the investment community is starting to value companies. In other words, your valuation from your investors, they're starting to put a lot more weight on customer retention, like how much customer churn do you have? Because that's their measure of how valuable you are to your customers. If your customer churn is high, that's like, well, whatever you're doing isn't that valuable. You might be able to sell a lot and there's more coming in the top of the funnel than falling out the bottom, but that's still not a good mix, mm -hmm. right? Because long-term customer value is finally where they're putting the emphasis instead of short-term sales and how much revenue can we crank out. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. And I think that financial uh, philosophy there is going to drive companies to start focusing more on measurable customer outcomes because that's how they're going to get money. Yeah. <laughs> And we're all coin operated, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and I'm thinking about now product companies uh, who are now find themselves, you know, they, they think they found themselves suddenly in the software business. I, I tell them, no, you found yourself in the user, the user experience business, but that's a whole exactly. other topic. But, but there are a lot of companies that now have uh, software as a major part of a product that heretofore they did not have, right? I think everything you're talking about is even, you might say, well, that's for a software company. No, that's for any company that has software as part of their product offering, right? Uh, it is. In fact, there are so many companies whose legacy business was hardware, um, and they have had to become software companies. That, you know, with the hardware, the hardware commoditized fast anyway, but with the advent of all these tablets and, and mobile devices and all this, it's like your $40,000 device, people are going, eh. I'll just buy I'll just buy ten four hundred dollar devices in the same period of time and still be a whole lot better off. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it really has uh, it, it it's really affecting all industries uh, in in lots of ways. And I've talked to people in industries. They say, "Well, it's not we're not seeing that yet." And I'm like, "Well, you will <laughs> if it's not hit your industry yet. It will." Well, you know, retailers and restaurants have had to become software companies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look at what's happened over the last year and a half. And if, if you know, the, the, the retailers and the restaurants and hospitality industries that have had their technical infrastructure in place before all of the COVID stuff have fared much better. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, you, you can actually see that. I went to get coffee this morning at a place. I won't say what it is, but they didn't have a machine. They didn't. I couldn't use my, my Apple Pay to pay for the coffee. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Let's do it the old-fashioned way. Yeah. Here's a credit card, right? The old-fashioned way used to be cash. Now the old-fashioned way is a physical credit card. Correct. Yeah. So it keeps changing. It keeps changing. Well, yeah. John, I really appreciated this. This was a great conversation. You're working on a lot of great stuff. I, I personally want to see you be very successful because if you're successful at helping companies be better at product management, product marketing, and product demos, then I know my company will be more successful because everybody will be. So, no, thank you. I'm, uh, you know, it's been been great talking with you here. I'm very passionate about this, and hopefully that comes through in our discussion today. But yeah, it's been a lot of fun doing what I do, and and you know, customers like yourselves are what make this fun and get me out of bed every day. <laughs> if people want to follow you, John, how how do they contact you? How do they follow you? Uh, LinkedIn and Twitter are the best way for them to find me, or they can go to proficients.com and yeah. uh, join our mailing list that way. Uh, so there's plenty of ways for people to find us out there.
Great. And we'll have links in the show notes for, for, for all of that. So uh, people listening, please check those show notes and you can you can get in touch with John and keep track on what he's doing. John, I wish you uh, all the best uh, today and, and, and in the future. And, and it's been wonderful. And, and uh, yeah, thanks a lot. Right back at you. Thank you. A pleasure to be here today. And to all of you listening, thank you. We do this for you. And we really appreciate you attending our sessions. And if you ever want us to investigate a topic or or try to find a speaker, just just drop us a line at, at talks at sophian.com. And you'll hear that again in, in the outtake for the show. And until next time, have a great week, everybody. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.